Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with guest pastor Char Broderson. Have we forgotten that it was through the faithfulness of a single celibate man that we have been redeemed and rescued? If we really believe that Jesus was and is who he said he is, then we must believe that Jesus really knew how to live. And that even as a single celibate man in his 30s, he experienced life in its fullness. That Jesus is in fact the model for all humanity of the good life. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Char Broderson continues our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Char begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 7, and verses 17 through 31, in a message titled, The Gift of Singleness. And now, here's Pastor Char. We're continuing our series, 1 Corinthians, with this theme, Everyday Discipleship. We've been saying just kind of about the church in Corinth that they were experiencing social, spiritual, sexual problems. There's all of these issues going on with them where they're segregating, separating from one another. And this really has to do with the fact that they had failed to understand the real life implications of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that their old way of living was so deeply rooted that they really had not experienced this full transformation of becoming Jesus followers, of really modeling their lives after Jesus. And this quote by Leslie Newbegin, if you guys have been here with us, you've heard me say this, but I think that this is so helpful because it kind of brings this question to us He says, the choice for the church in every age will always be, will our identity be shaped by the culture of the day or by scripture, by the biblical story or the cultural story? And so that's really what we're here to ask. We claim to be followers of Jesus, but our individual lives, what are they shaped by? What's our North Star? What is the meaning of purpose of life? Are we clear on that? Now, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the biblical teaching on sex, sexuality, and marriage based out of 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. And this morning, we come specifically to the subject of singleness. Now, before all you married people get up and walk out, this is vitally important for all of us. Because God has made us a family in Jesus Christ, kingdom of priests. And it is essential that we learn how to live with one another in all the various stations of life, how to champion and appreciate and celebrate one another and the various stations and status that the Lord has assigned to us. Now, to most Western Christians, it seems self-evident that marriage is the normal state. What do I mean by that? Well, you know if you're single. You come to church, and what happens is if you are discovered to be a post-adolescent single, look out. 
because many well-meaning people view it as their Christian duty to locate for you a mate. And we've been waiting for you to come so we could matchmake you with this individual. Now, usually the result of this kind of thinking is that when a person remains single into their late 20s or early 30s, either by choice or circumstance, again, usually well-meaning people try to diagnose the problem, the problem that has trapped the single person in the unnatural or undesirable condition of being unmarried. Is it their sexual orientation? Is it their physical attractiveness? Well, if they just worked a little harder, Is it their intellectual ability? Or maybe it's their social ineptitude. Or it's just probably their high standards. The thought that singleness is actually good, blessed by God, and could be a permanent state of one's life doesn't seem to have occurred to many in the church. Now, I want to push back on this. Have we forgotten that it was through the faithfulness of a single celibate man that we have been redeemed and rescued. I've said this before, but if we really believe that Jesus was and is who he said he is, then we must believe that Jesus really knew how to live. And that even as a single celibate man in his 30s, he experienced life in its fullness. That Jesus is, in fact, the model for all humanity of the good life. Now, some say that among Christians, the only fear greater than God sending them to foreign missions is the call to a life of celibacy. That doesn't sound like a people who have really contemplated the life of Jesus, as I just described it, and the life of many of God's people throughout history in any deep way. What really satisfies? What is the good life? What are human beings for? And again, this is what I was saying a moment ago. I think the church in many of these side conversations, we've lost our way. We've been confused and we followed the culture and especially Western culture in this over-romanticized view of relationships. Now, although most will eventually marry, statistics show that a growing number will never do so and that many who do marry will find themselves single again, either by divorce or by the death of a spouse. So I think the good question for us is, are we preparing and helping one another be ready for these seasons of life? Now, for these reasons and the fact that Paul teaches that singleness is a gracious gift of God. The term Paul uses here, gift, each one has their gift from God in verse 7 of chapter 7. This term is the word charisma. It's a grace gift given by God as a stewardship for kingdom advancement and kingdom purposes. That's how Paul defines the gift of marriage. That's how Paul defines the gift of singleness. It is a grace gift given to an individual by God to do kingdom work. So the fact that Paul teaches this high view of both singleness and marriage. I think the contemporary church is in real need of reassessing its stance on the issue of singleness. 
So let's talk about the goodness of singleness as Paul teaches it here. Now, traditional societies tend to make an idol out of marriage because traditional societies make an idol out of family or the tribe. And so because of this, singles are often treated as less than those who are married and have children in these traditional cultures. Now, the traditional motive for marriage was and is social duty, stability, status, the carrying on of legacy. Now, in contrast, contemporary societies tend to make an idol out of independence because we make an idol out of individuals, individual choice, individual happiness, individual freedom. And now, as we have built upon this contemporary idea of the individual, now all of a sudden, the contemporary motive for marriage is personal fulfillment. It's about the individual. Now, both of these are partly right, but both tend to become ultimates and ends in themselves. They become self-focused, self-preserving if the gospel has not changed our hearts and minds. Now, contrary to what is often taught, what we might think, and even what the church practices, Christianity upholds single adulthood as a viable and even good way to live. Prior to Christianity and its influence, nearly every religion and culture made family and childbearing a foundational cultural value. You can actually read this in many of the biblical stories. You think about Sarah, there's the shame that she has because she's an older woman and she's never been able to bear children. The same is true for Samson's mother and even for Samuel's mother. There's the shame that they bear in that society because they have not been able to carry on the family name, add to you know, the people of God. In this culture, there was no honor without family honor, and there was no lasting significance or legacy without heirs. Now, in contrast to all this, the early church did not pressure people to marry. As we see in Paul's letter, Paul is telling people to not get married. He's discouraging people from pressuring others into marriage. The early church even went so far as to support widows so that they didn't have to remarry, where in contrast, pagan widows faced great social pressure to remarry. It's recorded that Caesar Augustus had widows fined if they failed to remarry within two years. It was all about, right, the Roman legacy, the nation, carrying on of this torch. Rodney Stark in his book, The Rides of Christianity, says, in contrast, among Christians, widowhood was highly respected. Wow. And remarriage was, if anything, mildly discouraged. The church stood ready to sustain poor widows, allowing them a choice whether or not to remarry. Fascinating, isn't it? Can I just recommend one of the best things we can do as the people of God is read Christian history to know where we've come, to know what God has done in the past, to know how the early church lived, to know how the church fathers lived, to know what the second and third and fourth century of the church was like and so forth and so on. It's good for us to hear these things and be reminded of where we've come from. Now, why did the church believe and practice this countercultural way of life? Was it just to be different? 
Was it to be woke? Actually, this striking countercultural view of singleness was a logical working out of the life of Jesus himself. I said this in the intro, but just think about this, church. The most whole and beautiful human being that ever lived was a single celibate man. The most whole and beautiful human being who ever lived. That tells us right away that marriage does not make us more fit to be used by God. It doesn't make us more whole. It's not a sign of God's blessing or, you know, undeserved favor on us in contrast to those who are not. Look at Jesus. Consider Jesus. This is what the early church did. And as they contemplated the life of Jesus at a deep level, people thought, well, I'm going to follow Jesus. He was a single celibate man, and he was happy. He was fulfilled. He sought the kingdom of God first and foremost. Not only that, but the church practiced this countercultural way of life because it was also a logical working out of the resurrection and a sign of hope in the coming kingdom of God. We just read this, but Paul writes, are you pledged to a woman? Don't seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. If you do marry, you're not sinning. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinning. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. So from now on, those who have wives should live as though they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it wasn't actually theirs to keep. And those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. What the heck is Paul talking about? Well, Paul, like Jesus, taught the overlap of the ages. What that means is that the kingdom of God, God's power and presence at work to renew all things, had broken into the old world through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Through his presence, through his life, his death, his resurrection, yes, the kingdom of God is here. It's present. It is advancing. It's here in a real and substantial way. God's power and presence to save, to heal, to renew. But it is only partial. Christ is not physically ruling and reigning on earth. We are not yet kings and queens reigning with him. And so at the same time, it means that the social and material concerns of this world still exist. There are still status and social order and stations to this physical world. Not only that, but there are hardships, there are setbacks, there are anxieties, there's troubles, there's the presence of sin and its power. All of these are present and at work in the world. Paul speaks to this conviction in many, if not every single one of his letters. And this is what he wants us to do. He says, though we live in the overlap of the ages, the already not yet, 
Paul wants the church to live in light of and the reality of the coming kingdom of God in such a way that it transforms all our earthly relationships, stations, and status. So though we're living the already not yet, Paul wants us to identify our lives and live out our lives in the already. That's how he wants us to live. This deep, you know, what's called eschatological conviction, the end of all things, the new creation, this conviction informs Paul's apparent apathy when it comes to any station of life. Paul sees all of these things, whether married, single, young, old, slave, free, Jew or Gentile, whatever other category we create as irrelevant in light of the coming and already present kingdom of God. What matters to Paul is obedience to God's kingdom way, not status or station. Or as I love the way he puts it in Galatians. There, of course, he's dealing with a different subject, but he says this, what matters is the new creation. Oh, I'm married, single, and this matters to God. I'm Jew, I'm Gentile, I'm slave, I'm free. Paul says, none of that matters. What matters is the new creation that we're living in and out of the already. This identity in Christ, this resurrection life, that's what matters most to Paul for the church. Well, then what does that look like practically to live in the already? Well, Paul just described it for us, even though it's a bit confusing. What Paul is saying is it means that everything we have in this life is a gift to steward over, preparing us for the kingdom of God. As I said, it's a grace gift. It's a stewardship given to you by God for the eschaton, for ruling and reigning with Christ. And so this means as Christians, we must not see anything in our lives outside of this understanding of kingdom stewardship. Wherever you're at in your life, whatever you have been given, this is ordained by God that you would use it for his kingdom and his glory. So if we have possessions, Paul says we should live as if they weren't really ours. We have wealth in God through our salvation, and these are simply opportunities for us to learn to rule Opportunities for us to learn to steward in the way God does. How does God do it? He does it for the benefit and blessing of others. So that means if you've been given a marriage, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, but if you've been given a marriage, it's not for you. It's for the benefit and blessing of others. It's for the glory of God. If you've been gifted with singleness, it's not for you. It's not so you can be free to do what you want. It's for the benefit and blessing of others. It's for the glory of God. It's for kingdom advancement. Now, because of that, Christians then are not to choose between marriage and singleness for the basic contemporary motive of personal fulfillment and also not for the traditional motive of propagating family legacy, but rather we are to marry or remain single on the basis of which state best makes us a sign of the kingdom. Think about that. If you're dating someone, is this relationship going to advance the kingdom of God? Is that what the two of us are about? 
Are we about spurring one another towards love and good deeds? Or is this relationship really about navel-gazing? Like, I'm into her, she's into me, she's into me, I'm into her. Is that what this is about? Then you should not get married because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about his kingdom advancement. Whether you're single or you're married, the call is the same. To glorify God, to put the kingdom of God on display, to use whatever status station you've been given in life for God's glory, for the benefit of others, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Now, I think practically, church, that means that we don't just teach this truth of 1 Corinthians 7. We've got to live it out. How do we do that? We live it out by freeing singles from the shame or pressure of being unmarried. We get rid of both the traditional and the contemporary ideas surrounding singleness and marriage. And we take up Jesus's politic around these things. Jesus's scripture's idea about these things. It means married couples need to speak realistically and not just sentimentally about marriage. It means we also need to treat single members of the body of Christ as equal partners in the congregational life and leadership of the church. We need representation. So this is a call for us to live this out. I want to take a moment just to continue to address the single person here that says, Oh, yeah, Char, okay, great, thanks. I've been single for 30 years, and I still feel like I'm missing out. There is an article written by a woman named Paige Benton, and it's called Singled Out by God for Good. And I would just ask, if you are single, please find this article on the internet. Just Google Singled Out by God for Good, and please read this. But I'm going to quote heavily from it right now. She writes this. John Calvin's secret to sanctification is the interaction of the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self. Singles, like all other sinners, typically dismiss the first element of this formula. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. An important aspect of the Christian life is understanding that we are in a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, but we are in a war against these principalities and powers, against these spiritual beings. And so, I've written a book that was at one time entitled Spiritual Warfare, but in the updated version, I changed the title to The Powers of Darkness and the People of God. And I think this is such an important book. So many of us go about experiencing the what is really the attack of, of the devil, but we don't even realize that that's what's going on. So this book will inform you not only of how to detect when the enemy is at work, but also of how to combat the various schemes of the enemy to mess with us and to undermine our faith and to just basically make our lives miserable. So I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of The Powers of Darkness and the People of God. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. You can order the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. 
Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from our guest pastor, Char Broderson, as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. And it is the trip of a lifetime. So we'd love to have you join us. And if you're interested, we're going to have an informational meeting on Sunday, March 20th at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Or you can find out the details if you go online at israel.cccm.com. Yep. We hope you can join us. It's going to be great. It will be.